Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, and we're sponsored today by Zoe McKenzie Photography Studio here in Chicago. Now, if you're serious about your career, you need to get a headshot, a professional headshot done by a professional photographer, not your roommate or the creepy guy in the mailroom. And nobody does headshots for actors and improvisers better than Zoe McKenzie. They know how to bring out your personality so your headshots will stick out from everybody else's headshots. You will get noticed. So if you're an actor and improviser and you want a headshot that is amazing and that will get you the attention you deserve, it's Zoe McKenzie Photography. All you need to do is go to zoemckenziephotography.com. That's zoemckenziephotography.com. Also, if you find yourself in Chicago in the month of July, I will be offering two award-winning artist low comedy intensives. Learn before you are funny, you need to be real, and guess what? You'll be even funnier. Spaces are still available for the July intensives. That'll be on the weekend of July 11th and 12th. It's a two-day intensive. And then the weekend of July 25th and 26th, again, a two-day intensive. To register, go to my new slick website at jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. We got a great episode for you today, uh, but when do we not have a great episode for you today? And this one's actually a little special because it was recorded at the Houston Improv Festival, and I want to thank Todd Boring for getting me down there, not only to do an improv nerd, but to teach some artist low comedy workshops. Now, if you love short form, if you love comedy sports, you are going to love today's guest. Our guest today is Diana Delaney, and she's the owner and producer of the comedy sports franchise in Houston. She's a wonderful improviser, actor, teacher, and director. If you're in Houston, you know this woman is an institution. Uh, she goes way back to the original franchise in Milwaukee uh, and uh, back in the 80s. And she talks about how she started in Milwaukee and then why she decided to start a uh, comedy sports franchise in Houston back then. We also talked to her about why people in comedy sports are so nice, why the culture is so nice. Also, uh, short form, the, the, the misconceptions of short form and uh, why she enjoys doing it. Also, the hardest thing for a producer to say to an improviser, and believe it or not, I'm going to give you a little hint on this one, it's about taking a bath and smelling. Uh, so you're going to love, love, love this episode. And uh, like I said, we came uh, down to Houston, Texas for the Houston Improv Festival. Todd Boring got us down here, and it was a, a great time. And, and one of my highlights was uh, after doing uh, this episode, recording this episode with Diana. And you know what? I'm just going to say this, and you know I don't say much about myself. I have to say that my short-form skills, since I've been doing uh, improv nerd have really uh, improved and I think you're going to witness it in this episode but one of my highlights uh, of going down there was after uh, the improv nerd show Todd and uh, the other people at the theater uh, station and beta and comedy sports we were all represented at the same table we went out for they took me out to this great Tex-Mex restaurant and I got to tell you something that food was amazing. And they, they were very concerned because they wanted to take me to the right place. They didn't want to take me to some chain restaurant that does Tex-Mex. And it was amazing. And what it did was, it was so good. And I, I love Mexican food. It's, since I've come back from Chicago, it's ruined 
eating Mexican food in Chicago. That's how good it was. Okay, enough about me. You are going to love this episode. I loved talking to Diana. I loved working with her. Uh, I love doing short form with her. And you know I'm very scared about doing short form, and I have some judgments about it. But I had a blast. I really, really had a blast. And the other thing I wanted to say, Diana sat in and, and participated in both the workshops I, I did down there. So I was very honored and a little nervous that she took them, but it was just so much fun. You're going to love this episode. Enjoy the Diana Delaney episode. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Are you nervous? A little bit. Really? What are you nervous about? Because uh, everybody is watching me. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so, well, I'll, I'll start out easy, and then I'll wait for the harder question. Okay. <laughs> Can you guys see us over here? Yeah. Okay, because there's a pole right, right <laughs> there, so on your sideline. Uh, for those listening to the podcast, there's a pole to my left, and it's blocking some, some people. Um, now, you grew up in East Texas. and you Central knew, Texas. Central Texas. Mm-hmm. And you knew early you wanted to be in theater. How did you know that? It's just always what I wanted to do. Like from an early age, were you doing shows or? I was writing shows and performing How them old? with my cousin. How old were you when you did that with your Maybe cousin? five or six. You're kidding me. And what kind <laughs> of stuff did you do? Uh, sometimes uh, serious plays. Like? Um, like mysteries mm-hmm. or um, I was also very interested in the FBI as a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where did that come from, you think? I don't know. I, I remember that my, I have two older brothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, when I was probably around five or six, my oldest brother got this big book that was FBI stories. And I read that book over and over, and I could tell you the stories of those. I could tell you those FBI stories today. What were, like, some of those? I mean, the... the, the... Like a bomb um, uh, in an airport locker. Uh, true stories about... Um, uh, espionage and how the FBI found these criminals and and so you t- you took those those stories and based some of your plays on those your early five year old plays yep how did they go over in the family oh we were huge hits <laughs> constantly being asked to write more right write right, more right more yeah. were your parents supportive of that very supportive yes I, it didn't matter what I did. My parents thought I was the best at it. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and has that helped you in your career? I think so. I think so. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I mean, we talked today about insecurities, mm-hmm. and uh, I really have no reason whatsoever to be insecure, but here I am. What do you mean, here you are? Insecure. <laughs> what, do you mean, <laughs> what are you insecure about? Well, uh, I don't know, Jimmy, how much time do we have? <laughs> All the time we need to discuss that. <laughs> I think just, you know, um, being really self-confident uh-huh. is, is difficult. So you just sort of, I, I think I sort of fake it until I make it. If you believe it, then I can believe it. So um, your love for musical theater. Where did it come from? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I think that, uh, like, I always liked musical theater. Typically, there was there were comedic elements as opposed to dark, mm-hmm. um, and I'm a, I'm more attracted to comedy than tragedy. Uh, my dad was really funny, and uh, like I said, I grew up with two brothers, and um, 
you know, if I could make them laugh, they wouldn't beat me up as hard. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. What, what would they beat you up for? Oh, my gosh, for looking at them wrong. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it was love. I mean, they're the type of brothers that they could beat me up, but you couldn't. Okay. And when you right? Mean, yeah, but when you say beat you up, like tease you kind of thing or physically beat you up? Both. Okay. And did your parents ever intervene in this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what would they say? Don't beat up your sister? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but then, see, that would, have, that would be my fault for getting them in trouble, right. so then my parents leave the room, and then I really get the shit kicked out of me. <laughs> but not really. Okay. Not really. Okay. Uh, and then after grad school, so you, you go and you get a, a theater degree, right? Right. And then you go to grad school. Right. Which was really is kind of a stall because... Right. Can you explain that? Yeah, because I really wanted to go to New York and make it on Broadway. Um, but I had grown up in a small town. I had gone to a small liberal arts college to get my BFA, and I was terrified of New York. Um, I had gone to visit one time. A, a friend of mine from college had already moved up there and gone to visit one time, and I ended up, it was late at night. I was trying to get a cab. There was no cabs on the street. And there's this businessman on the opposite corner. And I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm very scared. So I think I'll go stand by that businessman, you know. And, so and he's I, as like I in walk, a suit and tie and a briefcase? Uh, he's got a black coat on. Okay. So I'm not sure what he has on. But he looks like a, you know, he's an older man. This is when I was quite young. And uh, as I approach him, he goes, hey. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't helping. <laughs> so that, so, so that, that I think colored my my New York the my feeling of or confidence in being able to go there. I wasn't ready. Wasn't so, ready. But, but then you are eventually. Yes. Okay. So you finish. You get your 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 masters mm-hmm. in theater, mm-hmm. and then you decide to go to New York. Mm-hmm. How do you get over that fear? Well, uh, grad school was tough. The, um, the producer, or we called him the producer, the head of the theater department ran it like a, a professional theater. Um, his attitude was, you don't like it, there's the door. Um, so there was no, you know, in my undergrad degree, there was a good bit of coddling, I would say, you know. Um, uh, but he really didn't, didn't put up with anything and fired people and... Um, it, it just, I, I felt like, you know what, New York can't be as hard as this. <laughs> so you go to New York mm-hmm. to, to, to become a musical theater star, mm-hmm. and what happened? Got caught up in paying the rent. Because it's very expensive there. Right. Um, just got too caught up in um, paying bills. Didn't want to ask for help. Um, when you say you didn't want to ask for help, what do you mean? Like my parents probably would have were funded they, me. Were they well off financially? Um, I wouldn't say well off, but they, I mean, maybe a little bit of well off. Were, were they, uh, what was it that you couldn't make that phone call and say, hey, can you support the arts here? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, but I, was, I was there for three, after I was there for maybe two years, living in Hell's Kitchen, when Which it was really, really Hell's, Hell's Kitchen, Kitchen, right? Right. Um, fifth floor walk-up, sharing it with a, another woman, and um, the, my parents came to see me, and 
that first night we spent the night and I woke up my dad had gotten gone out and gotten a newspaper because he wanted to buy a condo to put me in and um, one of those deals where you pay a maintenance fee yeah you know like an assessment or a maintenance fee right which right. Are, it can be as much as rent exactly um, and that he wanted to do he wanted to make that investment in real estate in New York and just have me pay the maintenance and I wouldn't do it it's just foolish youth you know, I mean, I look back and oh, go, so why regret, the heck not? You regret that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what do you think would have been different had you stayed there, had he bought that condo? Well, I think that my living situation would have been a lot more pleasant. Um, my roommate situation, uh, she was a waitress at the Grand Hyatt in Grand Central and would bring home uh, rich, older men to do cocaine and champagne. And uh, it just wasn't my scene. Was she having sex with them in the other room, too? Uh, don't know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, then you get exposed to improv. Yes. Not a great experience. Right. Can you tell us a little about that? Yes. Um, it was a troupe in New York City, and we performed at a little black box theater that um, had, you know, the legs, theater curtains, and so you would go out and do something, and then when you were done, you could you could disappear behind the curtains. And uh, what I remember is when I would disappear behind the curtains, someone would be there to tell me how bad I was sucking. Well, what would they say? Uh, that wasn't funny. Next time you go out there, you need to do something that's funny. Um, uh, that's really what I remember. And so how long did you do that for? It was a long form show, right? Yeah. How long did you do that for? Uh, probably just a few months. And then after doing that, what's your feeling at this point about improv? I didn't care for it. It wasn't. I didn't have a good time. It wasn't fun. And did you say to yourself, "I'm never going to do this again"? Or um, I don't know. I don't remember thinking that. I just. I think I just thought, well, I wanted to do that. I tried it, and it didn't work out very well. And my parents came to see me, and was looking. we were looking for something fun to do, and so I saw Comedy Sports listed in the paper, and we went to see the show. And I loved it. Those guys what did you were love about so, that? What do you remember? They were having show. so much fun, and the audience was having so much fun. Um, they were really funny. Um, it also added to it that after the show... You know, after every comedy sports show, we we are out there in the lobby, you know, saying the goodbye. Are, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, the the performers were so nice and open, and um, and you know, my parents were like, "You should ask them how you do. You know, how do you get involved? How do you get involved?" And they told me about the workshops, and uh, so I ended up taking a workshop. And at that time, the way uh, Milwaukee added um, troop members was they invited you to their practices or rehearsals and if you melded with the group and if you were a decent improviser then you were invited to join um, so I was invited to join and I really wasn't interested because because mm -hmm. I'd had that bad experience and I thought no I I, I mean I, I loved it I loved the the workshops um, and I was getting good feedback on what I was doing, but I just was afraid to be put in that situation again. And this is back in 1986. Mm -hmm. So um, what's comedy sports like back in 1986 in Milwaukee? Um, small. 
There were probably maybe 20 of us, uh, mostly men. And um, it was kind of a boys' club, if you will. Uh, um, How did you survive the boys' club? Sort of being a boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had a theory that you're either one person or another person to survive the boys' club. Right. So as a woman, you could either be the type that would sleep around mm-hmm. um, and be accepted that way, or you could do what I did, which was to be more of a, a not a boy, but tomboyish, not the kind that you would ever be interested in a relationship with, but really good friends. Mm-hmm. Now, people will hear this, and it's changed so much. I mean, even when I started, you know, uh, women have such a much bigger role, and I think it's still a boys' club, but it's less of a boys' club. Right. When you say it was a boys' club, what kind of behavior back then was boys' club behavior? Okay, so it was difficult to not play a woman or a girl as a woman or a girl. Does that make sense? No. So in a scene, if I would come in... Um, I would, you know, before I would come in, I would put on a jacket, a suit jacket, and I might walk out and go, say, Bill, we need to look on those reports. And they would go, oh, hi, Martha. So I'm still Martha, right? I'm still this butch, but right. I'm, now I'm Martha because they right. made me a woman because right. I am one. Right. That's, that was a big... Now, did you, did you, like, say anything after a show? Like, okay, look, I was, I was trying, it was clearly I was a man in that scene. Yeah. And what would they say to that? Uh, <laughs> I'll buy you a beer, you know. And what did you what did you learn from that? Like I just have to roll with this or I can't fight this or you know? I think I just kept insisting on, you know, I was really manly women in a lot of scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing that for a while and how did you decide to join cuz uh, there was some there was some nervousness about joining, and eventually you joined the professional. Mm-hmm. How did you decide to join the professional comedy sports back in Milwaukee in 1986? Well, it was when I was invited to go to the, to the practices, it was really sort of um, an interview or audition for both of, you know, I was auditioning <coughs> them and they were auditioning me. And um, I just became really close to several people there. And um, it became a, it, it saved my life after so much stress during the day with that nonprofit theater company. Uh, it was just the, the greatest release. And it saved your life because of the job or other things as well? Well, um, I would say it gave me a home away from home. You know what I mean? Like those people became my family. I still consider those those guys from 1986 to be part of my family. Because you spent so much time, right? Yes. You would rehearse and then you'd go out and drink, right? And right. Stuff like that. Right. And then you go to Dick uh, Chudnow, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you say, Dick, I've got this great marketing plan, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And And for comedy sports, I can really help you out. And what does Dick tell you? He says he can't afford to hire me. But he would love for me to go open my own club. And, and when he said that, what, did, what, what were you thinking? I thought that was a fantastic idea. <laughs> and did you have any idea where you were going to open it up? No. Um, I loved Milwaukee. I really did. What did you love about that town? I loved it because it's small. 
but it has big city amenities. It has a ballet, it has a symphony, it has theater. It's close to Chicago if you really need to get that big city fix. But it's really a small town, and Midwesterners are almost as nice as Texans. <laughs> so he, he throws out this, this proposal of like, I want you to open up a franchise, a comedy mm -hmm. sports franchise. How do you decide on Houston? I decided on Houston because I, I determined that I would come back to Texas. So I didn't have anywhere else. I'd lived in New York. I'd lived in the St. Louis area. I also wanted to go, so I wanted to come back to Texas. And I wanted to go somewhere that had not had a comedy sports before. Why? Because I wanted to make it my own. Um, in fact, the, there had been a guy up in Milwaukee who took comedy sports to Dallas. And um, he, it's, it's not really a franchise. It's more of a license agreement. So you pay a royalty for the show. And um, he had stopped paying the royalty but continued to do the show. And so um, through legal brouhaha, they got him to change the name of the show. Well, Dick really wanted me to go down to Dallas and, and do a successful comedy sports there. I wasn't interested in doing that. I didn't want a, a battle between anybody. Um, I wasn't interested in San Antonio. Um, and Austin had a comedy sports at this time. This was in 1990. And so Houston was a big city that didn't, had never had comedy sports. So that was one main reason. The other main reason was naively, I thought, you know, Milwaukee, small market, really successful business. Houston, huge market, phenomenal, unbelievable <laughs> money, you know, and fame. <laughs> Not so much, Jimmy. Oh. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So you come here. Yes. All right. And you've got the comedy sports franchise. Yes. And uh, how does the first couple of years go? First couple of years were actually fun. Once we, like, once I held the audition, so I moved here and I didn't know anybody, and I'm sitting in my one-bedroom apartment climbing the walls because I'm used to having a very, very social life in Milwaukee. Um, it's almost like you're a pioneer in a lot of ways, isn't it? Well, I'll take that. Thank okay. you. Okay, but I mean, in terms of you have this great support system in Milwaukee where it's very successful, yeah. and now it's, it's missionary work. Now we want you to go out <laughs> to the fields alone. Right. It's, it started from scratch. Right, right. So you're in your apartment. You're alone. Right. Probably a little depressed if you were me, right? Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, looking for a part-time job because I knew I needed regular income coming in, but I also knew that I needed daytime business hours for my business of comedy sports. And um, uh, set up meetings with um, the theater departments at all the universities here to tell them about what I was doing and uh, tell them about the audition date. And so I moved here over the July uh, 4th weekend and I held my first audition the end of August and had to hold another audition because didn't find enough of what I thought would be strong improvisers. So held another audition in September 15th. And then at that time, so there were about 15 of us, um, and we practiced twice a week. And um, in the meantime, I was looking for a venue for the performances. And where did you find that venue? At a little restaurant in Montrose, um, which is... Um, 
or back then anyway, was sort of the artist neighborhood. And um, uh, this restaurant had a little back room that sat 50 with a little stage and a grand piano on it. And that's where we started on Thursday nights. So Thursday night, and you're starting to get a house, crowds coming, starting to build a following? Yeah, I mean, mainly family and friends at the beginning, of course. Mm-hmm. But comedy sports has always enjoyed um, loyal fans. So if they see, if we can get somebody to see the show, typically they will return and typically they will bring others with them. And is that because you guys were clean um, as well? That's why we have our such so loyal, you get a loyal following. You, you, yeah, you, it seems like working clean helps. I yes, yes, because people then can bring their Sunday school class, or they can bring their grandparents, or they can bring their grandchildren. And what is that philosophy of working clean with comedy sports? I mean, why do we do it? Yes. Um, I think it was just. I think it was Dick's. Uh, vision that it would be comedy for everyone. He didn't want to be, um, he didn't want to exclude anybody from being able to come in and see a show that was good and funny. And do you think there, in terms of audiences, there's a, a, a big advantage to that? And in terms of, we've talked about, there is an advantage. Okay, because you can get them. But in terms of perform, performers, is there an advantage to work clean? What do you tell people that, that ask you that? Well, I think that it raises the bar. I think that um, uh, I think clean comedy gets a bad rap a lot of times because people don't think it's going to be funny because they think you have to be a little bit dirty at least to get a laugh. Um, so I think that we have to. I don't. I wouldn't say we work harder, but um, I don't know. Maybe we have to to be more well-rounded than somebody that can rely on a expletive to get a laugh. And what do you tell, how do you coach that? Because I'm sure when you, you, they come into the, the, your first level class, they're using four-letter words, they're right. subject matter that's not appropriate for comedy sports. How do you, right. how do, you do it without... Beat sh- it out of them, Jimmy. With a stick? Yes. <laughs> okay. okay, great. That's what I've heard. I'm just... W- just confirming the rumor that I hear. If there's a comedy sports uh, stick that you actually beat people with. Unless I, I I'm going to say yes. Okay, great. Um, but, you know, what do you, what do, you do? What do you do to, to that person? Because I'm sure you've had people that come in and think that that's what it's all about. Right. So, you know, you give them notes, um, and they either find a way to change or they find their way out of the troop. To do that, to be successful at that, I think that you have to have some kind of part of you that is good, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So because of that, I believe comedy sports seems to attract the nicer people. Nice people, I'll say. That's theory number That's one. That's theory number one. Theory number the two. The second theory is, um, you know, when I look back on my career in comedy sports, we had some people throughout the the life of Houston that weren't that nice. And as a uh, new owner, I would try to work with them and, um, you know, mend fences and hurt feelings and all this kind of stuff. Now, if you're a problem, I just say, you know what, this isn't working. 
So we don't, I don't put up with it. What is a problem? A problem, what, 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 is a, a problem is a performer that thinks that they need to run every scene, that they are the funniest, they are the most talented, and the other people are just other jerseys on the field um, that really, you know, I, I know what is best for this scene, so let me do it. And you've had to fire those kind of people? Yeah. And what do you say to them? Just that it's not a good match. What do they say back? Well, I disagree, usually. They say I disagree. And I say, you know, it's purely subjective on my part, but my subjectiveness is the only one that counts in this situation. What if they're like... like, Tough love. But I'm sure you've seen... Really super talented people that are jerks. Absolutely. Are those the hard call? What are we going to or say? people that, really talented people that can't make a call time. Why? Right? What's that about? I don't know. And you've had to talk to them about it? Yes. And what do they say to that? Oh, I know, I know, I'm sorry. Oh, I overslept. Oh, my alarm did go off. Oh. And then you have to, and then what do you do in that situation? Well. If they've done it repeatedly. Yeah, they're, they're gone. You can't. They're undependable then. Is that the hardest part of being a producer? Of letting people go? Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you something that I used to think was really hard. <laughs> You've gotten you know, tough in so, your Oh, life. I have. Yeah. I have. I've had to tell probably half a dozen performers that they didn't smell good. <laughs> that stinks, literally. <laughs> no pun intended. How do you, how, how do, you do it? Well, diplomatic. I, I used to be very diplomatic, and you know, say, you know, gosh, I, you know, I hate to tell you this, but you know, I've gotten some complaints, and you just, you know, you need to wash your clothes and you know, wash yourself. Now I say, hey, you stink. If you if you stink again then you'll have to go elsewhere. And what do they, what do they say? Really? I stink? <laughs> oh, they're surprised? Honestly, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I guess that's how I would react to it, too. You know, just deny it. Just, <laughs> frankly, but here's the thing is, you pay your people, right? Uh-huh. How much do you pay for a show? Oh, very little, Jimmy. Well, if it was $5, it's more than, than most people make. Okay, it's twice that. It's $10. Okay, we got it here. That's good. So they're getting paid. Uh Uh-huh. What do you think it is about the lack of professionalism? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, uh, some people just don't get it. They just don't get it. Um, Are there certain games that, that are synonymous with comedy sports. Like if I go to Chicago or I go to Houston or I go to Milwaukee, I'm going to I'm going to see it. What's the consistency in those in those franchises? Um, I would say that most of the matches or shows across the country have the game called Five Things. Okay. It's which is a naive game where a player goes out and um, from the audience we get five activities and then we make them wacky. Okay. Uh, like Water skiing only. It's you're not in water. You're mm-hmm. in acid. You're not being pulled by a boat. You're being pulled by an elephant, and your skis are toothpicks. Okay. So then the naive player comes back in, and by using mime and gibberish, their team tries to get them to understand that they're skiing on acid, pulled by an elephant with toothpick skis. 
So that that's a signature game. Yeah. That we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, any other thing that would be consistent in a comedy sports show? Um. Well, you're always going to see two teams. Okay. You're talking about games specifically. Games or just what we would see that that would be similar to, to each franchise. Gotcha. It'd so, be the competition part, right? Competition, but friendly competition. Okay. So I don't understand that. Okay. So okay. the so the the phrase that we use is we play to win, but we don't care if we lose, because the mindset is we are not playing for ourselves; we're playing for the audience. And that seems like a huge difference with the comedy sports philosophy is the audience, it's very important what the audience thinks. Yes, we want the audience to win. And how do you do that in your performance for the audience to win? Well, we want to be inclusive. We want to take suggestions from the entire room. Um, we want to honor the suggestions. Um, I think Keeping it clean is another respectful thing to do for the audience. Um, okay, so now we are going to, hopefully we will be respectful for the audience because we're going to improvise now. And we're going to do some games that you may see in, in, in a comedy sports mm -hmm. show. Now, I am not, I haven't done sh short form in a long time. And... Uh, I, I think I'm working on this in my life, but I'm less of a short-form snob. Is, do, do, do you feel that there is a long-form, short-form, and how, how do you deal with that? Short-form's no good, long-form's better than short-form. Um, I felt like through the years that a lot of times people don't think that, that improvisers are actually improvising in, in short-form, um, which I think is BS. Um, I mean, I'm improvising when I'm doing short form games, but you know, you know what I mean. Like they, you're they, saying, other improvisers don't think that long form. A lot of I think a lot of long people that do ex exclusively long form don't believe that short form improvisers are really improvising. They're just doing tricks, right? Basically, right? Stick, okay. right? 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 So how do you deal with that? Ignore them. I don't care what they think. Okay. <laughs> really? I mean, I know. Well, yeah, I yeah. do because yeah. I'm insecure. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I know that I'm improvising, so I just can't let them bo that bother me. Okay, great. So we're gonna we're gonna play a couple games, right? Mm -hmm. And we we've, we've talked about games. What what game would you like to start with? Let's start with blind line. Okay, and it, just explain it for people that don't know blind line, or do we even even need to explain it? Um, well, you guys were you guys get, gave the lines, correct? Yeah. Yes. Right. So we've we've written those on individual if pieces of paper. If somebody could bring those here, we've got individual pieces of paper for the and, people that are listening to the podcast. Oh, no, that's right. And um, so those pieces of paper with the lines of dialogue are going to be put on the floor, and we'll do a scene. And throughout the scene, whenever we feel like it, we're going to pick up one of those and read it, and then incorporate that into the scene. Great, and then we'll we'll call this we'll call this scene. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yep. All right. So if we could have those scattered on the stage, that would be great. Somewhere in the proximity of us, so because we're older and we don't want to walk that far. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the biggest trend I've seen in doing improv nerd, a lot of people just I'll say you want to improvise, and they're like. Yeah, you mean just sit in the chair and improvise? I, I don't know if it's an age thing or what, but people just want to sit in the chair and improvise. Really? Yeah. 
I don't. I don't either. Okay, okay. great. Do we need a relationship to start with? Yeah. Okay, great. So yeah. why don't you lead us off, start us off. Can you give a relationship? Any kind of relationship? Brother, sister. Siblings. Brother, sister, yeah. whatever. Great. First, brother, That's sister. Cool. Just because mom's dead does not mean I'm moving out of this house. You want to have this conversation now? <laughs> I do. I want to have it right now. I was not going to tell you this now. It's always better when it's orange. <laughs> I, I am not repainting my room orange, okay? It's staying the color I had when I was a kid, baby blue. Okay, and let's stop referring that room to your room. It is my room. It is not your room. It's the estate's room. Look, until I move out of this house, it is my room. And you know what? I'm really pissed off that you're the executor of the state. You know what? I looked at the will. And you know what it said in the will? And I couldn't believe by when I read it. That I'm and the executor. It said, you're the executor of the will and holy shit. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It's still valid. I don't care what it says. It is still a valid will. Well, I know you, oh, you're drinking again, right? Mom's dying and you're going back to the sauce. Good for you, Sarah. So I won't cry in front of her. Well, at least I'm not an alcoholic. I feel my feelings. You know what? I may drink too much. I might. But I have friends that are not my mother. I have life. I have a life. I go places. I do things. I have a job. <gasps> do you ever think about getting a job, Bill? <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> yeah, I thought about it. Really? Yeah. And then mom got sick. And for the last six years, I took care of her. You took care of her? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because I could have sworn I'd been paying people to come and, like, really take care of her. Medical people. Well, they're here. But who, who, who goes to the store for mom and gets her haagen ice cream? She loves chocolate, <laughs> chocolate chip. And it's me. You're not paying them for that. You don't get it. I don't get it? Really, Sarah? Really. Yeah. You know, I wish I could just go off to New York and, and be a musical theater star. <laughs> but I had to stay back here to take care of Mom and Dad's ashes, apparently. Because they're still in the living room. Because you won't make a decision about what to do with them. Because it was supposed to be a family decision. He wanted either, he wanted either land or sea, spread on land or sea. And I keep... Texting you and emailing you, and you never you never write back. You're always in rehearsal. Because I have a job. Dad left and a, a life. Dad left a note on those ashes. You know what that note said, Sarah? But you never read it, right? Because you're too busy trying to make it on off Broadway. You know what it said? It said, "Why don't you come up and see me sometime?" <laughs> <laughs> I think he's talking to you. Like, come up, like, be dead. You, you want me dead, don't you? It'd be you a lot me? easier, to yeah. be honest with yeah. you. Well, why don't you just poison my food? Because it'd be a lot easier than, than trying to pretend like you don't want to kill me. I know you've wanted to kill me. Gee, Ricky, I'm sorry your mom blew up. You know what? Don't be sarcastic. Can I? <laughs> I can't take that. You know? Sometimes I, do, I wonder about you. I wonder what you're, what, what, uh, it, it always gets the blood out. It always gets the blood out. 
That's what I wonder about you. How, how do you get the blood out? I don't have to tell you how I get the blood out. Because I want to know, after you kill me, how are you going to get the blood out? I won't have to get the blood out. I'll leave the blood in the room. You are cold. Do you know that? I'm going back in there right now, and I'm going to tell Mom, because she wants you in there. And you know what I'm going to say instead of, oh, Sarah doesn't want to see you because she hates your guts. I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to cover for you, and you're going to owe me. And I'm going to And you're going to cry. I'm going to cry, yeah. And I'm going to say, me talk pretty one day. <laughs> and you don't think that that's a sick relationship you have with your mother? See. All right, what are we going to do? What Let's do, do the 30-second thing. Okay, so just explain it. Okay, so we're going to ask someone um, that has a stopwatch or of some kind, Todd. Todd has a stopwatch. Um, so Did you know that? No. Yeah, Todd but has he was a lot pulling of, out his... Yeah. yeah. He was like, a, what do you have, like an iPhone or a... I have an iPhone 6. Oh, great. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Executive producers of festivals make a lot yeah. of money. <laughs> So if Todd would be so kind to give us some kind of a verbal signal Mm -hmm. every 30 seconds, and every time that happens, we will completely change the scene. Okay. So you want to just yell out change? I'll just say change. Okay, great. Now, I'm I'm stalling here because I'm a little nervous about this game. So just give me a little pointer on on a tip on how to play this game. Um, just do a different scene every 30 seconds. <laughs> Is that how you teach? <laughs> and take know. a shower. Yeah. <laughs> great. All right. Okay, great. So the scenes are not going to have anything to do with each other. So we're basically so, just starting a new scene. They're going to yell yeah. a relationship. Now, is it a good idea to like grab a different, like a, a character or a status or yes, something like yes, that? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, because I don't want to play myself throughout the scene, right? Please don't, Okay, Jane. great. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm scared to death. I'm done stalling. Let's All go. Right. Okay, we need a relationship, right? Sure. Doctor patient. Doctor patient. All right, I just looked at your tests. Uh, Carol, uh, this does not look very good. You are pregnant. (laughs) Damn it. I know you wanted an abortion. Your parents have paid for an abortion, but I can't do it. Why not? Because it's against my religion. Huh. How long have you had this religion? About since I heard the news. (laughs) Well, I don't think that that's fair. I mean, I slept... New, we have a new, oh, we're doing it, right? Uh-huh. We go right into it. Yeah. Oh, you have a headache. Doris, I gave you a headache, didn't I? Yes, you did. Your constant jibber-jabber. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that maybe I would come over and apologize for what I did last time. Oh, well, you did. I got a little out of hand. Yes. You turned me on and I slapped you hard. <laughs> I didn't mean it. You say that every Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Oh, I've set some logs in the fire. <laughs> oh, I feel the heat from here. It feels glorious. Great, 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 great. Mindy, mindy, mindy. Oh, oh. We're going to be warm here, yes. away from the king's horses. Yes. This is a brilliant idea. Yes, honey. You know something? I love you. <gasps> I bought you something. 
A stone? A stone. It's an engagement stone. Oh, Sorry, you, Mindy. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you. That you uh, ever found me in my office. It's a small office. Yes, it is a tiny office. <laughs> but it's clean. It yes. smells so clean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've come here for the papers having to my report on the sectets, whatever. Yes. <laughs> I've been waiting oh, yeah, for that report. Change! Change. <laughs> I was gonna wait in line for the movie. Oh, behind me! Okay. <laughs> Not first! Okay. I'm gonna be the first to see the movie! Okay. okay. Huh? I could see it. You are so mad. Okay, I was an hour late. Big deal. Big deal. Don't hit me. Please, don't hit me. Don't hit me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Oh, God. Oh, God. Please, please, please. Carol, don't hit me. Please, please. Shut up! I suppose this place will do, Harold. Yes, I suppose it will. For the night, we will just uh, sleep here amongst the horses, and then the next morning we will get up and head back into the village. Well, I'm not sure I can sleep with the horses. Oh, God. My back! Oh, well... You can sleep on me, then. I'll be supportive. Like... Uh, 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 I can't believe I just kissed you. Uh, 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 oh my I parents. felt your tongue. I felt your tongue. I felt your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. My parents are home. My parents. Oh, we're gonna get. Let's we're do gonna... it again. Let's do it again. Okay. Let's do it again. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not so much tongue this time. Okay. Okay. Not so much tongue. Okay. okay. I, I get excited and I just stick out my tongue. So, your mother uh, told me uh, to come up here and talk to you that you had your little red flow. (laughs) I'm a woman now. (laughs) I understand that, and uh, she has given me something to give you. It is a Tampax. Ooh, it's unwrapped and you're touching it. Well, uh, Oh, oh my god! 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 Do tell. Uh, Well, I was outside and there was a uh, there was a bus crash. Yes, there was a bus crash. Oh my god! Did you cause it? Yeah, I caused it. Yes, it's, I'm so excited. I never thought I'd be anything, and then I caused the bus crash. You it's caused it. I'm going to be Change. on the news. All right. I would like to talk to you right now. I'm here. All right. I heard that you were spilling gossip about me. <laughs> Don't believe everything you'll hear. No, I do believe it. Yes. I Is have... it gossip if it's true? Oh, you got me. Oh my god! That game! That game is hard! That game is so hard. Fun though, huh? It's fun, but it's hard, isn't it? Okay, so let's let's review what we did. So we did the the line game. What's it called? Blind Blind line? line. How do you think we did in that game? 
Um, I thought we did good. Okay. We had a relationship. Yes. We we incorporated and justified the lines. Mm -hmm. I think it was enjoyable. Yeah. 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 Good. Good. Any notes you guys have that we did? We missed one. We missed one. <laughs> and that one was. <laughs> Uh, don't mess with Texas. <laughs> I don't know if we did Good miss one. one. I don't think if we, we did miss one then. Don't mess with Texas? We did miss this one. Yeah, we okay. didn't say that we one. We didn't say but that But it's good to be said. It's good to be said. <laughs> don't mess with Texas. That's right. What does that mean, by the way? It means don't litter. Does it really? Mm -hmm. Okay. I thought it meant like Texas. It's big and tough. Don't mess with Texas. Well, yeah, that too, but... Okay. Um, so you thought we did pretty well in, in that game, the first game. You wouldn't have done anything differently? I don't think so. Yeah. I thought it was good that we had a, like a strong relationship and it was kind of fun that it was dark and then we knew that that stuff would lighten it up with the with the stuff. Right. Because it was a very heavy... Now, would that have played in a comedy sports huh? audience or would that have been too dark? Uh, Probably a little dark. Okay. I'll tell you something very ironic though, Jimmy, okay. is that was very close to my personal life right now. Are you serious? Yeah. You're experiencing... Your mom is sick. No, she passed away two weeks ago. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. And um, so you're having problems with your siblings. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. And do you, did you have a brother like that? Could be. <laughs> Could be. Okay. <laughs> what do you think about, because last night uh, we did it, the, the show, we did a very dark scene, and, and Tina, is this okay to say what you said off stage or not? Yeah, go ahead. So Tina, so I mentioned DCFS in our scene, and Tina says to me, I actually work for DCFS. And I thought, this is, this, to me, this is what's so cool about improv. That we did this scene, I didn't have any knowledge of this stuff before, and we created a, a, something from your life. Um, what do you think that's about? Like, in terms of the bigger scope of improv? Because I think this is so, this is what makes it so fun and powerful to do. I think it can be definitely therapeutic. But 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 that 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 it's coming like that we did this. Oh, what do you think? What do you think that is? Is it, is it in our consciousness or? Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it you're you you really set that up. Right. That scene, you had nothing right? to do with it. Right. Just so your brother knows, as he's listening, you had <laughs> nothing to do with it, or possibly some somebody like your brother, um, just to cover you. Um, but I, I, for me, I, to me, it's the uh, that unconscious thing about improv is so so powerful, you know. Because yeah. was that healing for you? That scene. Um, it was. Uh, or was it may, maybe? Or was I, it I guess I was probably in my head a little bit in that. Um, part of me was going, "Oh my God, does he know what?" is going on with me. So a little self-conscious. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, I, uh, okay, great. So you were a little in your head by that. Yeah. Okay, then the second uh, second game we did, which was the 32nd, which, which, if Todd had called one more change, I think he would have killed me. <laughs> <laughs> we would have had to call. You, you did great. Um, okay, so how do you think we did on that game? I thought we did good. Mm -hmm. I got to a point where I was like, I was trying to think of like, how could I come up with another character? How could I, you know? What were you doing? What was your process through that game? Um, 
just trying to uh, get in a different position or letting that letting that um, help me with a new situation. So if you would have gotten a different physical physical position, it would have helped you with character? With the, absolutely, and yeah. And seeing as well? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, now we're going to take uh, questions from the audience. All right. And uh, so uh, uh, is Danny, are you doing lights? Yeah. Danny, if you could turn the, light, the house lights on so I could see people uh, with questions, that would be great. And I'm still having trouble seeing, but that's all right. Um, so if you have a question for Diana uh, or what we just did, uh, here is your opportunity. Now, there, Danny, we're, that's great. Um, great. So uh, uh, a question for Diana. I think the greatest personal success is that I'm able to make my living running the company as well as employing two full-time people. I have a full-time sales director and a full-time audience development box office person. And that's what I'm most proud of, um, being able to do something that I love. I think the challenge is um, the size of the troupe because everybody is so busy today um, and some people insist upon having lives outside of comedy sports. How could they do that? I know. Like have children, right. have spouses. It's ridiculous. Um, so it's hard to, or it's a challenge to uh, keep it a close-knit uh, ensemble. I mean, it's difficult for all of us to even get together, you know, and, and you have to have that. You have to have that to, to have that trust, I believe. How, you know, for people who want to do what you were producing, how long did it take you to go from uh, having a part-time job, as you told us at the beginning of the interview, to now, like, I'm making a living at this, I'm employing two, two, two full-time people, I'm also paying my performers, uh, how long did it take you to do that? Golly. Um, well, I kept my full-time job for 13 years. And I've been doing this 24 years. So, um, and I was the first full-time person, obviously. And then it took me probably another five years to then get bring somebody else on staff. Mm -hmm. Great. We got another question for Diana. Yeah. So one of the things that always amazes me about comedy sports shows is that uh, it seems like it's, it's, the shows are always just a mix of different people, whereas in long-form shows that I've done, I have a history with these people, and I've performed with them over and over and over, and, and I'm just like, it just seems like you guys are like, okay, Friday, uh, let's draw people out of the hat, and you just throw them on stage, and it's always a great show. How do you, how do you build that kind of an ensemble? It's, it's having opportunities to work out together and to socialize together. Um, that's really what it is. We work out weekly um, and train, um, working new games, working different skills, that kind of thing. Um, and then giving the uh, social, again, the social opportunities are just as important in my mind. So if I'm on the professional team there. I, what, what is my commitment for, for that? Um, you are expected to make three of the four or five weekly 
practices. And how long do those last? Uh, two hours. Okay. And then you are expected to be available for at least two shows a month. It's not very much. Mm -hmm. um, and some people are more available than others. And, um, you know, availability changes um, for people throughout the year for whatever reasons. And how important you think, you know, you, I know you were like, oh, it's only $10 or whatever. I don't want to tell you what it is. How important do you think, even if it's a dollar, to pay somebody for a show? I think it's huge. Um, I think that it's, uh, it's, it goes back to that respect. Um, and it also, um, I've been called anal retentive in the past. Uh, because I want, you know, when people come into the theater, uh, I want it clean and neat and, you know, I'm, I can be a biatch about things because I want things done uh, just the way I want them done. Um, and I think uh, one of my greatest um, uh, good feelings is when people go off and see other shows or... Um, uh, in other cities or, or wherever and come back and say, uh, you know, we, we, we look professional from, from top to bottom. And they, then that gives them that pride too, you know? Great. Let's take another question. Improv is huge and, and is extremely helpful to the world. I mean, I, I think improv changes lives. And I also think that improv can be a place and, and is a place in many situations for uh, people with all kinds of deficiencies and uh, uh, strengths can come together. Um, I also think um, it's a great adjunct to acting. You know, Comedy Sports has a big high school league program in many of the cities, and the teachers, the theater teachers and the departments more and more are realizing that this is a tool that actors can definitely use. Same is true in the corporate world. You know, if, if organizations would would work together like improvisers have to work together, productivity would go up, morale would go up. I mean, we see it. So I, I have a huge respect for improv. You've been around, I mean, probably the longest, right, here in the, with the Houston improv scene? Yep. And I come to this, this is the first time I've been here, and I see so much potential, so much potential. What do you think all the theaters together to create an even bigger scene would need to do? Probably collaborate more. Um, you know, kudos to Todd for producing the Houston Improv Festival um, because before then there was little or no collaboration really. Um, and uh, now at least 
you know, I would, the, the improv community is bigger than it ever has been here. It's still small, mm -hmm. but it's bigger than it ever has been. And there is a lot more um, people uh, performing in comedy sports and also uh, performing at station. People performing at comedy sports and also for beta. Um, a lot of uh, intermingling, which is also relatively new. So I think just more of that. And it, as a theater owner, somebody who's been here for a while, what do you think prevents people from collaborating? With? I think it's your. Uh, I think it's insecurity. Into what is it? What's the insecurity part of it? Well, that. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm probably one of the worst in. Uh, like there was a there was a a group in town years ago that wanted to share talent. And I wasn't interested in that uh, because I felt like that my talent was of higher caliber than theirs. And that was a big turnoff for them that I would say, I'm not interested in having a talent pool. Right, and they probably thought you were snobby, right? Right, but hugely you know, snobby. Right. Right. So you, right. You, you didn't want, and okay, and so you look back at that and say, well, I've relaxed a lot more, and also, you know, I think there was a part of me at the beginning, too, uh, uh, you know, I believe competition is good, mm -hmm. um, but I also believe that you can get so caught up in what your competition is doing mm -hmm. that you are then hurting yourself. And my mindset now is I welcome the competition because what I want to do is I'm going to I'm going to focus on my business and make my business the best that it can be, mm -hmm. as opposed to begrudging or trying to um, downplay other businesses of the same. And what what do you think is preventing people from from doing this? Preventing people from um, improvising? No, no, no. Learning this, learning this, like okay, like, I, I gotta I gotta read the newspaper every once in a while, or go on the internet, or go right. to movies. What do you right. what, what do you think is preventing the this people from 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 taking that advice? Um, maybe they feel like they can get away without it. I don't know. Okay, I don't but know. You're saying it's part of the job. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, and you're doing yourself a favor. I mean, why? What would you? What what would you have to worry about if you felt confident in, I don't care what you throw at me, I will, I will have a reference in my brain. Mm -hmm. All right, great. Any other questions? Yeah, right here. So do you think there's anything different about the Houston uh, theater goer uh, than Dallas or New York? Because it seems to me I've noticed, like I noticed Eric Clapton was touring. He didn't come to Houston. I noticed Frank Sinatra, when he left, a lot of times he would skip Houston. Go to Dallas. Uh, you can skip Houston, and I've always wondered what is it about Houston. Uh, I also heard that a lot of bands, when they go on a national tour, if they come to Houston, will be their first stop. Was maybe Houston crowds. Okay, or so hmm. so this gentleman is saying that 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 um, that that Houston, you know, when when bands come in, Eric Clapton, they or Sinatra, they won't come here. And the the interesting thing is. Houston is the fourth largest country, a uh, fourth largest country, it's not a country. <laughs> Texas, Texas is a country. Houston is just a town in that, a city in that country. Um, but it's the fourth largest city. And, and it seems like, because I've been to Austin, 
Austin's improv community is like huge. It and, is. And it's a much smaller city than, um, than Houston is. So is there something in this, like arts and culture and stuff like that, that we're not, that, 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 that Houston is missing? Gosh, if I knew that, I would. You'd have four, four times <laughs> That's right. I'd hire you, Jimmy. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, what what I see, what I notice more is um, our audiences are more like theater audiences as opposed to comedy audiences, stand-up comedy audiences, in that our audiences come to watch a show. And I feel like um, uh, for the, my experiences with stand-up clubs is that People are there to, yeah, hear the show, but also we got to do like 10 shots during this next two hours, you know, or um, I've got to, you know, I'm having trouble with my boyfriend and I need to tell you about that during this set. Um, just not very respectful of the, of the art going on on the stage. But I've always found comedy sports, especially in Chicago, is they're not, if you go to their audience, it's not improv audience. It's not improv students supporting it. Right. It's basically tourists, big buses pulling up, people coming out, um, which is, is a huge compliment to, to, to comedy sports because comedy sports is one of the few improv shows that has busted the, that ceiling of, hey, we're appealing to the mainstream. Yeah. It's, 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 it's improv for entertainment. Right? How can the regular improv community who's doing regular improv long-form shows learn from comedy sports and tap into that more of a mainstream audience. More of the, 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 the people that are just going to have a good time. Maybe trying to be more inclusive from the audience. I mean, in our shows, we're taking suggestions throughout the entire show from all over the theater. Um... Typically, with long form, you're getting one suggestion at the top, right? So not an incredible amount of interactiveness with the audience. I think that's maybe one big difference. Well, I would like to see improv get out to the mainstream. Me too. Know? So we've got to wrap this up. This is so wonderful. And we always end our, our, our podcast this way, asking one piece of advice you would give to somebody who's starting out in improv today. I would say take as many classes from as many different people as you possibly can. Even if you've been doing it for a long time? Even if you've been doing Why? it for a long time. Why? Well, I feel like that you can always grow as an improviser. You can always grow. And what happens with improvisers, because I see this in Chicago, I see this everywhere I go, they've gone through a system, they've done five levels, and they're okay, you know, uh, and then they say, you know, I don't need classes anymore. I think that's a mistake. I think you need classes in anything you're doing. I mean, lawyers have to have a certain amount of hours every year. Doctors, same thing, right? I think it's, a, it's the getting a different perspective on your work or a way to attack the work. Why wouldn't you want to do that? 
Diana Delaney, thank you so much for being our guest. My pleasure. Thank you. And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. Can you believe it? I mean, this year has just gone by so fast. I want to thank my guest, Diana Delaney, the owner and producer of Comedy Sports in Houston, Texas. And do you not agree with me that my short form is really, really improving? And it's improved so much that I'm actually... I, I'd really like to take a class uh, at comedy sports, and, and I'm not kidding. It's totally sincere. And my, my wife actually was talking about getting me one for my birthday. I want to thank Todd Boring at the Houston Improv Festival for bringing me down, as well as uh, all the fun I had with uh, Station and Beta and the comedy sports theaters down there, those three, the three theaters uh, that were involved in the festival at the Houston Improv Festival. Such a great time I had. Also, I'd like to thank my producer here in Chicago, Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. You wouldn't be hearing my voice right now if it wasn't for Dan. Also, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes, The Artist Low Comedy, and my Improv Nerd blog, which will make you a better improviser and a better person, well, the person uh, part is up to you. Go to my website, jimmycorain.com. It's slick. It's new. You've got to, lo- you've got to go check out my new website. I'm not kidding. Go check out my new website, jimmycorain.com. Uh, also, you know we are taking over social media, and we've been doing this very slowly, but I think effectively. Uh, go to our Facebook page, Improv Nerd, and like us because it really helps with my low self-esteem. And then follow us on Twitter, Improv underscore Nerd. That's Improv underscore Nerd. And uh, we have a wonderful YouTube channel. We have a lot of clips from our, our actual audio recordings. So you get to actually see the video. So check that out as well. Uh, you've probably figured this out because you, you're smart people. But we're on Feral Audio. We're a part of a podcast collective. People like Dan Harmon have podcasts, Chelsea Peretti has a podcast, uh, Matt Dwyer, Steve Agee, Todd Berry. I mean, those are some, those are some pretty big names. Uh, Jimmy Corain, you might have heard of Improv Nerd. He's on there as well. So go to feralaudio.com and check that out. Also, I want to thank our sponsor today, Zoe McKenzie Photography Studio here in Chicago. Go to zoemckenziephotography.com. And of course, I can't forget, I want to thank you for listening. Because without you listening, this is just a big waste of time. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Well, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you 